What is up, my friends? Welcome to Drop In with Dr. J, where we have open, authentic conversations about all things mental health, including living with PTSD. So grateful to have my guest on for this episode, who is a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombing and lives with post-traumatic stress disorder. Through her website, Still Blooming Me, they share how they learn to embrace the trauma and mental challenges and advocate for themselves and grow from their experience. She is passionate about bringing awareness to PTSD and sharing resources that have helped her heal. They are a dedicated wife and mother and live in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. Elena Breeze, thanks so much for dropping in. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course, of course. How's Phoenix today? Oh, it's beautiful. It's sunny, like usual. And just, I mean, spring is the best time of year in Phoenix and we're having the best spring day. So I just imagine sort of like South Florida where it's like summertime hits and it's like you can only spend limited time out in the midday. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, we're not, I think South Florida is so humid. We don't have that humidity here, but yes, I think it's going to be in the 90s pretty soon, like in in the next week or so. And then it's all downhill from there. Like we're going to get into oven mode where you walk outside and it's like you're opening the oven door and like just the heat hits you. Yeah. (laughs) So many listeners are like, summer is the best time where I live, but same in South Florida. Summer is like the time, like the winter where you go indoors, you recharge, you're not as out as much. You're in the air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. Modern luxuries. So I, I so appreciate you coming on because especially here on drop in, we love hearing about authentic experience with, with things, especially something as intimate as PTSD. And so I'd love to start off by hearing about your experience the day of the bombing. Mm-hmm. It was April 15th, 2013. It was a beautiful day in Boston. It was really actually warm for April there. And my husband was running the marathon to raise money for the American Cancer Society. And he was a mile and a half from the finish line. So he'd been, he'd run a long, a long way. And I was standing with my brother-in-law in the bleachers directly across the street from where the first bomb exploded. Mm-hmm. And we were just watching the marathon. It was, a, I mean, it was just a beautiful day. Patriots Day in Boston is a holiday. The banks are closed, schools closed. So thousands of people were down there at the finish line. And it's a celebration. And it was just a, it was beautiful watching these people crying as they were crossing the finish line. And then that moment was just pierced by these two bombs. They exploded about 12 seconds apart. And, you know, I had never experienced a bomb before. I'm not, uh, I don't have a military background, but the bomb creates a concussion where the air separates very quickly. And so air kind of like flew at us, right? And went through us and my hair just kind of blew all around me. It was very loud. It echoed up the buildings. And after the first bomb went off, it took a few seconds to kind of figure out what was happening. And then the second bomb went off. So then it became like a, we need to carefully get ourselves out of here. There were a lot of families and kids around us. Thankfully, my children were here in Phoenix with my sister. 
And yeah, it, it was traumatic. We were faced with bomb squads as we turned the corner onto Exeter Street, right by the Lenox Hotel. And it, it just happened so fast. That's all I can really describe to you. It was just very quick, very quickly life changed. And I didn't really realize how it would impact me mentally when we got home from Phoenix I, or from Boston. I had a three-year-old and a six-month-old at the time. So I just went back to nursing and running after my my kids and taking care of everyone around me. And I failed myself. I didn't take care of myself. And about three and a half years later, I was hospitalized and, and diagnosed with PTSD. So you have this experience that in the moment, you, you can't even process it's happening so fast. What the heck? Yes. yes. And I'm sure your body just kind of got put in motion. You're trying to leave the scene faced with bomb squads. And from that scene, you just went back to your everyday life. Yes. You tried going back to being a mom. And you fast forward three and a half years later is when yeah. you had a hospitalization. Do you remember in the moment, a lot of people can have dissociation, they can have lapses in memory. Do, do you remember as it was happening? Like, is it hard to remember the details? No, I was very present in my body while it was happening. I was even telling my brother-in-law, this is, this doesn't look right. There's, mm -hmm. I mean, we could see the people right across the street from us. I, initially, the first bomb really looked like um, audio equipment may have exploded or something like that. But then, you know, you take a snapshot of that and you take a snapshot of the people directly across the street and how they're swirling, like the crowd just like kind of swirled in hysterics and we could see their faces and we could see that it was it it wasn't what what we initially thought and then before you can really string another thought together the second bomb goes off and then you're like okay now you know you're just kind of you go into survival mode really what was the transition like between the event happens you're still in boston mm -hmm. how did you process this with the people who were there Oh, that's such a good question. So we were there, we were staying at my husband's best friend's uh, apartment, which was maybe three blocks from the finish line mm -hmm. and lined up down his street were just fire trucks, ambulances, like every emergency vehicle you could imagine was lined up out there. And so we kind of all hunkered down there because the the city just shut down. Like you couldn't ride the trains. There was no getting from one side of the city to the other. It just became like a ghost town. And so we were all stuck together. And this is where people process things differently. You know, some of us wanted to watch the news like cycle, which isn't always healthy because it just like repeats itself. And then you're re-traumatizing yourself. And for me, that, that I didn't want to participate in that. So at one point I was like, you guys, can we turn this off? Like, I just lived it. I don't need to see it on the news. I know what it looked like. And then we were in Boston for a few extra days. So we, we were 
staying in Copley, which the hotel hadn't shut down. So we were, we walked from Eric's apartment over to the hotel and we did manage to get out to dinner that night. But again, like nobody was on the street. Nobody was out. When we were getting on the flights to come home, the FBI checked our phones to see if we had any pictures of any, you know, anything or video of of anything because they were trying to narrow down who these suspects were. Right. I didn't have, I mean, I gave them everything I had, but nothing that, yeah, was valuable to them. So it was just crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Like you're, again, you, you kind of live in this security bubble. And until that's burst, you do, you just don't know what it's going to look like, feel like, or, or anything. It's just uh, right. All these eerie, eerie, that's great eerie. Yeah. And I'm sure all these experiences that you can't comprehend until you're living it. And then it's right. the first time the FBI is checking your phone and you're mm-hmm. in the moment trying to regulate and be like, I can't watch this anymore. I need, I can't, yes. I was just there. Mm-hmm. So you fly back home. Mm-hmm. What, take me through, I know that's a long time period, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. What were you experiencing during that time? What did you Yeah, know? so I would say the symptoms started about around the one-year anniversary mark of the bombing. Mm. The media was replaying everything. Dateline had their episode about the, the bombing, and my husband was glued to it all. He was watching it all, and so I started having nightmares, really terrible nightmares, not even about the bombing, about, like, my own children and and certain like obvious things that were very close to me. Right. Um, and that those sleep disturbances kind of gave way to panic attacks in public places. So I was having panic attacks at the grocery store in target. Um, I movie theaters, like I, my world was, was closing in on me kind of all these public places were not safe for me anymore. And then that just turned into anxiety and depression on a level that I, I can't even really like explain to you. It was so paralyzing. I stopped really being able to drive. And then finally, and, and again, I want to, I want to tell your listeners, I was also having a lot of physical symptoms where I was waking up every day telling my husband, I'm not feeling well. And he would just say, you never feel well. (laughs) And I just had like a fatigue and a lot of physical symptoms, a lot of heart palpitations, headaches, chronic pain, pain everywhere that I couldn't really pinpoint. I saw every doctor imaginable, a cardiologist, a gastro, I thought, there surely there was something wrong with me physically. Okay. And then on July 14th, 2016, uh, that was the day of the Bastille day attack in Nice, France. Mm. And I sat down to catch the evening news and I heard a witness recount what he saw and it triggered this full body response for me. I went to bed early that night because I wasn't feeling well. And I woke up with an incredible panic attack. I mean, the worst one basically that I've ever had. I thought I was dying. And then that just 
like snowballed into being afraid to even go to sleep and I stopped eating. So about three weeks after that final panic attack, I was hospitalized on August 3rd. Your story is so powerful because so many people can stereotypically think if you go through a traumatic event, well, surely weeks after, days after, there's all kinds of symptoms. And your story, it sounds like a lot of this really began around the one year mark. Yes. And from what I read now about post-traumatic stress disorder, it sounds like the symptoms can manifest you know, between that three to five year mark after the trauma. So by then you're kind of like, okay, I should have moved on by now. You're not thinking about it every day. Right. And your body is, your body cannot forget it. And it's hard to, it's really hard. You need help at that point. And I just, I didn't have any coping skills. I didn't even know what was wrong. I, I wasn't making the connection that this was related to my trauma. Wow. So even you you watch these things on the news and then you're feeling these things in the body. It felt so scattered for you. Obviously scary, like something's wrong, but it wasn't mm-hmm. obvious of, oh, this all relates back to that bombing that I witnessed. Yes. It, it didn't feel that connected for you. Right. Right. So you, you go to the hospital. What's that experience like for you? It was terrible. I mean, it was scary. Mm-hmm. I had never been on medication before. And so they just kind of like threw the whole book at me. They put me on three or four different things right out of the gate. And I was so sick. I could barely like feed myself. I was shaking so badly. Um, and I spent about five days, five five to seven days there. And my husband would come and see me. And he just kept saying, Elena, do what they do, what you have to do. Let's get you out of here. Then we'll find the people that, that can help you. But you have like, I mean, when you're in that setting, you have to participate in eating and going to the group therapy sessions, or they just keep you longer, you know? Um, so that experience, although it was awful, it really was a reset button for me. And it kind of lit this flame inside of me to advocate for myself and fight for my life because no one else was going to fight the way it needed to be done. I, I had to be the one to do it. And, um, it it taught me that I needed to be the CEO of my own health and healing and really find the right therapists and and, and people who were holistically minded like me who were going to be on my team to help. And and that's really what it did. So that that house hospital experience got you up to sort of like a baseline. Like you yes. cooperated to get the hell out. But yes. then it really sounds like your healing process came after. Uh, oh, yeah. Take us through what that was like for you. How did you find? Well, it's still happening, honestly. Like, like I, I feel like I'm I'm still healing. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. So I don't want to paint a picture like it's done. The over. work isn't yeah. done. Yeah, the work right. isn't done. Um, But I would say like the first part, like, the part where I like ripped the scab off and it was bleeding and bleeding. It was year. It was a few years after that. Honestly, I, 
first had to find the right people. Like I mentioned before, I, I see an EMDR therapist. I've been with her for four years now. So for the, or yeah, the first year I saw someone else and then it just wasn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to share because sometimes these people that we find just don't, we don't click or it's just not the right fit. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, that's okay. So I, I, found the right, the right person. And, and we've been together for a while now. And then, um, I started treating myself with a naturopathic doctor. She initially helped wean me off all these medications and I was able to use supplements for a long time and CBD and a lot of other, um, great tools and supplements that are out there that helped me for a while, um, until about last year. And I decided to go back on medication and I can talk about that more, but, um, yeah, so I, I have a naturopathic doctor. I see an acupuncturist and that has been hugely beneficial. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm always doing things and this isn't, this isn't like a go to therapy once and walk away and you're fine. Like this is time. And it it, honestly, a lot of my work took me back to things that happened in my childhood and helped explain why I am the way I am and, and things that I needed to learn from and change and grow from. So it's, it's a process. It is. It absolutely is. I, and it is a process. It sounds like very much so you're dedicated to even in, discovering other types of healing like acupuncture and other things that you're going to, that you're putting energy into to see how it works for you. But I would love to hear, because I know so many listeners have heard the term EMDR and not like you have to be the expert on it, but I would love to hear what your experience of EMDR has been. How would you describe it to someone? Well, initially when I started, it was really hard. I mean, the sessions would really wipe me out. I would tell my husband, Hey, I need extra help with the kids tonight. Can we order pizza tonight? Uh, Like this is a lot for me to take. I would take a bath that night. I would really baby baby myself. (laughs) Um, and a lot of this has been taking care of myself. Like I would a baby, honestly. Um, yeah. EMDR. I mean, do you, it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Got it. You got <laughs> it. Um, and my therapist uses tappers that vibrate and, um, she uses, uh, some, uh, she'll do a lot of like tapping on my legs and sound and things with my vision to kind of, um, I guess, confuse or, stimulate to get that bilateral stimulation going while I'm in my session and while I'm speaking about whatever it is we're targeting and working on at that time. Um, Yeah. So it's a lot of work. There are some really great apps that kind of stimulate some of that anxiety release is one that she recommended that I use. And I have tappers at home that I, I can use too now. So when you first started it, what were your thoughts? Because some people are like, just give me anything that's going to help. But other people can be like, yeah. this seems like it's not going to work. Or this seems dumb. Like, what What were your yeah. initial thoughts? I mean, I think it's important to be open-minded when yeah. you're working on yourself. I mean, there are many different ways to heal. Right. There's no, like, right or wrong way to do this. And 
EMDR is a great way to help rebuild and heal your brain and grow no like new neural pathways and it has been hugely beneficial for me. And I, I do have friends who say the same thing that it, it didn't help them, but I'm not sure they gave it as much of a chance. Uh, I feel like it's one of those things you have to stick with for a while and be very mindful while you're going through it of what you can change, what you're recognizing, what you're learning and trying to, to implement that when you're outside of your session too. I love that mindset. And it is so important because what we know in psychology is what you predict about things has an impact on its success. Yeah, And so it is to try to stick with something, stay open. But you also alluded to the other truth that different things are going to work differently for different people. There's a lot right. of difference in there, but you yeah. get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so, but it's been something for you that's been ongoing and you've like, I've had a lot of benefit. What have you noticed shift for you? So you went through these nightmares, the panic attacks, it disturbed your eating. And we, we know PTSD can impact like the plethora of mental health and physical health symptoms. What have you noticed shift as a result of this therapy? Oh, wow. So many things. I think I was, when I first started this work, I was just so scared to live. I was scared to be in my own skin. I mean, I was just really uh, afraid of everything. Um, and that EMDR has helped me so much per to participate in my life again. I can drive now I can eat, I can go to bed. I mean, just because I've done this work doesn't mean I don't have bad nights still. I still do struggle with my sleep and I have some great tools that I lean on. And I think the work has helped me get to a place where I can just say, okay, you had a bad night. It's going to be okay. Whereas before it just, it would just continue. And almost, I, I wouldn't be able to talk myself down and, mm. and have those conversations with myself to like ease, ease the, <laughs> I don't know, like ease the issue or, or ease the symptoms and stop the rolling ball, I guess. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. I yeah. guess that would be my answer. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's like with so many mental health things, but especially PTSD in the beginning, the waves can feel like they're just crashing upon you. Like you can't get a breath. And now it sounds like you've healed to the point where it's like you can recognize sort of a bad day or bad moments, but you have all these other times where you're living your life, you're present, and you're not haunted by sort of this pending doom. A lot of people will describe it. Yeah. I mean, there are still things that trigger me, sure. but I am able to cope with them better. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And lean on those tools that I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's an IG question relating to just that. So I won't spoil that. So I'll save that for later. Okay. The other part of me is wondering, what did you know about PTSD before all this? I didn't know anything. Everything I knew about PTSD was military focused, mm -hmm. which is great. Our yeah. veterans suffer the I, most from, from PTSD, but I, I really think, isn't it like 70% of Americans will experience PTSD at some point in their lifetime and women are, are affected at a higher rate than men. So I think 
just, I had no idea that, you know, you could experience PTSD if you're in a car accident, if you lose a child, if anything traumatic happens to you, um, the symptoms are the same. Our bodies give us the same symptoms. The trauma, the trauma doesn't matter. Honestly, like I shouldn't say the trauma doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your trauma is. Absolutely. The symptoms are the same. That's a better way to say it. So. I knew exactly what you meant. Though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But you're right. People assume that if you're not serving in some war and you don't have someone shooting at you, that, oh, it's not really trauma. I just got in a car accident. People get in car accidents all the time. Or even like, I just got fired from a job. That can't be trauma. Right. I just, yeah. but it absolutely can. It absolutely can. And I think, I think we collectively will experience more PTSD symptoms in the next few years as we start to process this COVID and all the social inequities we've been dealing with and like our political um, season that we're in. I, just the world itself is going through a collective trauma. And so that's why I think my work is so important right now, because I want to reach out and bring awareness to what PTSD can feel like and look like to help all the, uh, everyone that's, <laughs> that will be experiencing this in the years to come. I, I couldn't agree more. And part of me wonders, has there been things that have sort of surprised you? Like whether it's about PTSD, your own healing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find once I was able to embrace and accept PTSD into my life, it gave me an incredible lens to see life through. And one that I, over the years have grown so grateful for, mm -hmm. I, it grew my compassion and my empathy. And I, you know, when I was first diagnosed with PTSD, I was really worried that I would miss out on living this beautiful life I had planned. And while I have had to let some things go and big things, things that I've had to mourn over, mm -hmm. I, I've finally gotten to the place where I can see how much I have oh. and, and it's highlighted beautiful people in my life. It's been, it's been a gift and I could not have said that to you five years ago or even maybe even last year, <laughs> last right. year was hard yeah. for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Those aspects that you name fit right into the terminology we sometimes refer to as post-traumatic growth. Growth. And a lot of people will, can be cynical of it and be like, well, are you saying trauma is good? And it's like, no, no, nobody's saying trauma is good, but there are specific things that when you heal and grow through trauma that you, as you put, gain this lens that is unique and can be one of appreciation or gratitude for other things that may not have been there had you not gone through the trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What do you wish other people would know about PTSD? I mean, I, well, I think it's, it's, I think the face of PTSD is getting better and broader. Yeah. I think um, as different public figures and celebrities speak out about their trauma, I think the, I think people are recognizing that it can look like them, mm. that it, it isn't just, you know, this person who's been in the military, who has experienced combat. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I also want people to know that 
life life can be really hard, but it can be really great. And and I think that PTSD PTSD just adds another layer to life and to living and 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 whatever that looks like. It, it, you can still have a full life with it. Mm-hmm. You just have to be very gentle with yourself and and learn how to live a little bit differently. Mm, that compassion so necessary, especially as you've been very candid about the ups and downs and how it's a continuous process. It's not a, yes. a point where you're like, oh, I'm totally healed from this PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but because part of me thinks, what are some symptoms for you that are sort of the things that linger? Sleep issues um, still really affect me. Um, Anxiety. I would say I'm through most of the uh, PTSD. I I don't really qualify for that diagnosis anymore. It's more of a generalized anxiety disorder now that I live with. Um, But I still get triggered and I still don't watch the news. Like I know the things that bother me and I really... I mean, I try to avoid them. They don't, I I can still participate in some of it now, but I I mostly avoid it. I try and just fill my life with good news. But yeah, I I think the the hardest thing for me is still just sleep. 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 The automatic process where these dreams, these feelings, the emotions, the panic, like they can hit us feeling out of nowhere, right? In the middle of a REM cycle. It's... Yeah, it's very interesting how that. And it's hard because sleep is supposed to be so restorative. Like that's where you're supposed to heal, so it can be super frustrating. <laughs> when when you ha- yeah, when you have bad nights of sleep, mm-hmm. have you found anything that sort of helps you, even if it's after the bad night of sleep? Yeah. Well, I mean, I love my weighted blanket. That helps me a lot. I have some great apps that I use in the middle of the night, um, just like meditation apps. I uh, Next to my bed, I keep like a whole arsenal of tools in case I need something in the middle of the night. I use homeopathy. That's been helpful. And ear seeds, acupressure seeds in my ears. Um yeah, I use so many different things and I try to kind of mix those things up too, because I feel like if I use something for a while, it'll stop to help as much. And then I, you know, so I kind of have to keep my issues confused, if you will, <laughs> and guessing. And guessing. Yeah, yeah and guessing. Sort of novel experience can help bring about more change sometimes. I definitely, yeah. I definitely agree. Yeah. Uh, well, I love yeah. your attitude and passion towards this uh, comes through easily. And I love that you're out here being an advocate, sharing your story, talking about PTSD, and also you're willing to put so much energy into your healing and try so many variety mm-hmm. of avenues because yeah, EMDR might not be for everyone, but that right. doesn't mean there's nothing for you out there. It just means maybe with that one particular therapist or this one particular treatment isn't quite yes. for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think being open-minded is the most important thing when you're in a healing journey, because there are so many things you can try. Mm-hmm. And even if you grow or heal just a tiny bit, that will help you. Yeah. And that will push you forward too. 
even if you get relief for just a few days, you know, I mean, honestly, sometimes you just need a little bit of relief to kind of work through whatever it is you're, you're going through at the moment and to, to realize, to gain the perspective that feelings and these PTSD symptoms are not forever, that they can pass. And I think having that perspective helps you when you go through your next downturn, <laughs> you know, uh, to remind you, oh, I will get through this. Absolutely. And I know I'm as guilty as anyone. Sometimes with my symptoms, I can feel like I want them all gone. But in yeah. reality, what you allude to is the true healing journey is like you do you do certain things that help alleviate a little bit, maybe a point or two, but that point or two can help you find a moment of peace, maybe help yeah. you sleep better or connect with a friend or be with your right. children. And that, that makes all the difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to get to these Instagram questions, but before I do, I got to read an ad because all podcasts are sponsored by ads. So we are sponsored by the great mental health app dive through just because someone has anxiety does not mean they can't have a fulfilling and happy life that they deserve. I've created a course in the dive through app thriving with generalized anxiety disorder. And in this course, I'll go through where anxiety comes from, how it impacts the brain and body and ways you can intervene to lessen its impact. Download that dive through app, Apple Store, Google Play. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we all have mental health, but many of us resist getting help because it's inconvenient or we simply don't know where to start. BetterHelp has made the process of getting with a mental health professional easy. In fact, you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That's lightning fast. The service is available for clients worldwide. Wherever you are out there, BetterHelp is there for you. You can also log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. This is an awesome feature because we all know things happen between sessions. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in uncomfortable waiting room as you have to with traditional in-person therapy. There is absolutely something to sitting on your own couch, your own chair or furniture in your space and starting your therapeutic journey. Incredibly convenient and comforting. Visit betterhelp.com backslash drop in Dr. J. That's better H-E-L-P backslash drop in D-R-J, all lowercase. Drop in listeners will receive a special promo code for 10% off your first month. Start living a healthier life today. Everyone out there, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for all your great questions off of Instagram. You really help continue this conversation. So the first question, alluding a little bit to what we were just talking about, but does PTSD ever get better? I, it does. It, it does. It takes time. It's not like a linear uh, healing trajectory. You're not always going to be going in an upward motion towards that you know, goal of being healed. Sometimes you're going to go backwards. It, it, it's hard. It will keep you guessing, but you have to hang in there and be patient and do the work because you will get to a point in your life that you can live with PTSD and, and you will have that perspective of, of 
of seeing life through a different lens and having some compassion for yourself, but you have to just hang in there and surround yourself with amazing people who love you and who believe in you too. That is so important. I couldn't agree more in, in your journey, Elena, how many years has this been? Like how many years have you been partaking in healing yourself, growing through PTSD? I was hospitalized in 2016. So I'm coming up on six years. Six years. Yeah. Initially, this was like a job for me. Healing was a job. Um, And now I see my EMDR therapist once a month, you know, or sometimes we spread it out more. It's not an every week situation, but like tomorrow I'm seeing my acupuncturist. So that is, that's something I'm doing for myself tomorrow. Now it's more of a self-love self-care process Mm -hmm. instead of a, I have to heal. I'm really sick right now. You know, right? it's just shifted a little bit. Absolutely. But again, everyone's different on this. And I want all the listeners to know that, like, of course your story could look different, but at the same time, you give such good perspective that it's, it's six years. This isn't something you did in six months. It's not something you no. did in six weeks. It's been spread out over the time of over a half decade. Yeah. And I, I, I know that that's very realistic for, for any mental health disorder, but specifically PTSD. Like it might, it might take that long for you to get to these places where you have more good days than bad. Yeah. I mean, you have to learn how to live with it. That right. takes time. It takes so much patience and time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And that compassion, especially self-compassion is so pivotal because any one of us can start to feel down on ourselves of like, what, what is really wrong with me? Like, why can't I get better here? But that's when having good mental health professionals or professionals at our side to explain, like, listen, it's not a linear process. It's not going to no. be. Yeah, that's absolutely. True. Here's another great question. How sh- how should I educate family, friends about PTSD and how it might be showing up in my life? That's a great question. Uh, my husband, thats that would be a really good question for him. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if he really understood what was going on with me until I was hospitalized. Yeah. And the doctors said to him, hey, this is like your wife has cancer. She's mm. very sick. She mm-hmm. needs some major help. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he understood how serious it was until that point. His mom did have bipolar disorder. So he grew up mm-hmm. in a home where mental health was talked about and, and like it was a big focus. And so he already had that life experience. So I think it was easier for him to support me through this, having had that experience. But I honestly think the best thing you can do is just be open Mm. about how you're feeling. It takes time to learn how to verbalize how it feels. But I think if you have the right people in your world, you can share what's going on. I I honestly, this, this whole experience highlighted who was meant to be in my life all along. And it really shrunk my circle of people and friends. And that's okay too. So saying goodbye to people who aren't on board with you healing is 
like one of the first steps. It's painful, but it, it really is because they can hold you back mm-hmm. from your, your true potential and your growth. And so I think, you know, getting the right people in your circle on your team is number one is paramount. And then from there, finding a way to verbalize, maybe share some books with them, maybe direct them to my website. My husband wrote a beautiful piece on there about what it's like um, living with me, I guess. (laughs) And yeah, I think just trying to point them to some resources would be beneficial. NAMI is a really great organization. Yep. They um, support family members, too, of those who have mental health challenges, and that's a great resource. You're hitting on a common theme that's come up in this podcast across different episodes, and that is exactly what you said. Sometimes we learn who's worth having in our life. And that we can't convince people to be open, to be compassionate, to care, and to want to learn about us and what we're going through. Yeah. Some people just don't. And like you said, that energy, the questioning, the almost minimizing and validating, it can absolutely hold back our healing. Yeah. I mean, and just, I don't want to like go into this long story about it, but for instance, I had a very close friend tell me that she didn't believe the bombing happened, that it was all staged, that there were crisis actors there, that if I spent some time on YouTube, I would see this. So like, that was a relationship that I had to let go of, (laughs) you know, it was never gonna, it was never going to grow with me in, in the place where I was with my issues, with my PTSD surrounding the bombing. So yeah, if you have friends like that in your life, it's time to just walk away. You need to do that for yourself. Yeah. Talk about the essence of invalidating. That's like the extreme. Yes. Oh my God. I'm I'm so sorry you experienced that. And yet, and yet it shows where you've been through your healing journey that you've had to look realize some people absolutely are not going to be part of they're not on board they're not on board and they're not going to get to move forward with you but my dad always says you know people come into your lives for a season and season yep yeah and that's okay i like that mindset i really do i really do how how do you deal with feelings that your trauma wasn't bad enough for ptsd and that gets into you know comparing your trauma to other people and that and that sort of thing actually dr edith ager wrote a beautiful book about it's called um the choice Mm. and she is a holocaust survivor she went on to be a, a therapist she's like 93 years old and she's turning out some amazing books so i love her stuff um but she talks about how she was treating sexual abuse survivors and rape victims and how these victims would come to her and say, I feel unworthy for you to treat me because you were a Holocaust survivor. Nothing worse could happen to someone. Why am I crying to you about this, what I've been through? And, and Dr. Ager says, it doesn't matter what the trauma is. Your, your symptoms are going to be the same as mine. Our bodies give us the same symptoms. And I don't I, like, why would we compare what 
you know, the things in our lives that are bad. (laughs) Right. 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 You know, it kind of gets into that whole thing of like keeping up with the Joneses. Like, why are we going to try and keep up with someone else with our trauma? Like it just, it's not a productive thing to do to yourself. And again, if someone doesn't think your trauma is bad enough to warrant um, PTSD, then they don't understand PTSD and they don't understand trauma. And then that might not be the right person to have in your life. Absolutely. And if, if it's yourself doing it, like you gave the great example in there, it's reminding yourself your your body doesn't care about the event. As you alluded to earlier, your body is just responding. And that event could be anything, literally anything that feels like that much of a threat to your being or someone else's being close to you. So again, you're, there's really no point in ever comparing events for yourself or for anyone else. Well, even I think my therapist said, um, she said people who witness a car accident Mm -hmm. suffer usually from PTSD the person who was in the accident, even if they had to go to the hospital and they were really hurt, they usually don't suffer from PTSD. It's like almost just the witnessing of something bad happening is what triggers this response. So, and that gets minimized a lot. I'll tell you, like people will be like, well, I wasn't the one in the car and it's Mm -hmm. like, but you observed it, you saw it. And now we have plenty of research to show even hearing about it. There's first responders who work, you know, the the 911 lines that the hearing of even hearing about these events can cause PTSD. So yeah, yeah, you don't ever have to assume that you were the one, I don't know how else to describe it in the car, as you said, you can be seeing it and completely have all PTSD symptoms from that experience. What, and you, you also alluded to a lot of these, but this person wanted to know what are your personal favorite coping mechanisms? Oh my gosh. Well, they change all the time, but, um, there are some really amazing apps. I love the tapping solutions app where you, it's like a, you tap different parts of your, your body Mm -hmm. while you listen to this guided meditation and they have meditations for everything. That one is incredible. I love it. I, I mentioned the anxiety release app. I love that too. Both of those you do have to pay for, but insight timer is free and they have a lot of great content. So I like that one too. So that's for apps. I love my weighted blanket. I love ear seeds. They're used to extend the benefits of acupuncture, but you can learn some of these points on your own at home and treat yourself at home. They're super easy to buy. And those have been really great. I even use them on my kids. Gosh, I love CBD. (laughs) I use that Mm -hmm. Uh, daily. I use that. I don't know. I could go on and on about all the tools. I there's a breathing device that I keep with me called a Call Me Go device. Um, I've been using it for years. That one still helps me, and I love it. Um, so yeah, I I use all these tools in my life. I keep them close. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm always sharing other tools there too that I love. 
Oh, I'm I'm certain so many of these listeners will after this episode. And I, I if I could encapsulate that energy that you have to exploring and trying new things. And listen, everyone has a different personality out there. A lot of listeners can be a little like less apt to like try new things, but there's such a benefit to to find what works for you. And we are in the era, thank goodness, that there are so many apps. And these apps tend to be very affordable, especially when you compare it to like one therapy session. It's like, yeah, you can usually get a year subscription to these apps yes. for less than one therapy session. And yeah. I'm a therapist. So yeah. I, worthy investments to have something easy on you that can help regulate you, restore balance. This ties into another question here. Um, how do you get out of the fight or flight response? I don't know if that was something you were experiencing a lot, but yes. when you found yourself sort of elevated. Yeah. Oh gosh. There's so many things breathing. One thing that helps me so much because when I'm in that fight or flight, I start to think I'm having a heart attack. I'm, I'm having something physically is wrong with me. That right. is how my anxiety manifests. Very somatic. I almost have a conversation with that part of myself. Mm -hmm. It's taken a long time to get there, but I feel like if I acknowledge her, that that side of me, and I'm able to listen to her, I let her get really loud and crazy. I listen to her, kind of watch it. It, it, Again, this takes practice. It took a lot of therapy to get to this point. I'm able to calm down faster if if I listen to it instead of ignoring it. Mm, I like that a lot. Because the things that we ignore and try to push away, that avoidance almost never works. Yeah, I... Yeah. I'm again, tools are very helpful here too. So getting under a weighted blanket, Mm -hmm. taking a cold shower, something that is going to get you to breathe because oftentimes when you're in that uh, fight or flight, you hold your breath. That's also why the calm ego device is very helpful because it helps you prolong your exhalation. So when you're holding your breath, you're not going to be able to get oxygen to your brain to get you know, everything flowing again. Mm-hmm. So you need to figure out a way to breathe. So cold showers, a calm ego device, sometimes the weight of a blanket can help. Um, but yes, I think letting that part of you get noisy and loud, acknowledging it, mm-hmm. listening to it, because mm-hmm. it's just information. Yeah. Um, and, and then talk, eventually being able to kind of like talk it down off the ledge that has been most beneficial for me. I love that because often when we have these experiences, you can begin to understand why that voice got loud. Like you can hear it out. You can start to maybe see what the trigger was from today or see what led up to this kind of being in a sympathetic fight or flight state. But if you ignore it and you try to push it away, you gain no information. And it's like, it's still living inside of you, but you, you didn't hear it out or understand its emotion or what it was trying to express. Most of the time it's trying to protect us, but- We didn't need that level of protection today or unlikely we did. And if you find yourself kind of stuck in that, because I know for me, I can get stuck there for a couple of days and Mm -hmm. it can get really uncomfortable. There are some incredible ear seed points that I will treat myself with that will help you get back into that parasympathetic mode. Yes. And so I'll use those too. Love that. Love that. And it uh, certainly, as you said before, 
our breath is like a remote control. When you're able, there's so many, for those of you out there like, well, what kind of breathing? It's whatever breathing method works for you. There's mindful breathing, there's box breathing, there's uh, five to five breathing, where you breathe in for five, hold for two, release for five. There's so many different paradigms. It's really what you're going to be able to have access to and do in these moments. Yeah. I know for me, a couple things, like if I was in a public place and this happened, I would go to the bathroom and like run cold water through my hands or I would take my drink with me to the bathroom water and I would let ice cubes melt in my hands. So something about that, like cold would help me a lot. It kind of helps you get back into your body, you know? Mm. And then I think laying in the grass helps me too. Anytime I can get like close to the earth and look up and, and it, that helps me a lot too. The sensory experiences you just described, because they help gain back control, right? Of yeah. what's happening here and now and override some of that fight or flight. Certainly very effective. Uh, one last question here for you, which is an interesting one. How do you tell your partner about your trauma for the first time? And I know your experience, your trauma with with your partner, he was there and participating in the race, but how would you recommend somebody do that for the first time? Oh gosh. I mean, I think if you have a really great partner and if they care about you, they want to know this part of you. And I think maybe being in a really safe place for yourself, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, in your room or somewhere calm, you're not going to want to do this at a coffee shop at Starbucks. You know what I mean? Like you, or even on a date, like I would say somewhere maybe outside. So if it triggers you, you can lay in the grass, you can be close to the ground. um, So you can ground yourself. But I think if this person really loves you and cares about you, they're going to want to know this part and support you through it. And also something that has always helped me is writing things down. So maybe if you wanted to write it out and share it with them that way, if you're having a hard time verbalizing it, that might also be beneficial. Love the thought process of allowing them to come into your comfort zone and you being in your comfort zone, whether that is in in the grass, whether that's, you know, within, I don't even know your bedroom or someplace where you feel comfortable because it, when we open the doors to a disclosure like that, yet we probably don't want to be in a place that I I don't want to use the word unsafe, but it's not our comfort zone, like a Starbucks, Someone out there, they're like, my comfort zone is Starbucks. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. And, may, and maybe it is. Maybe. But I just know for me, like if I meet new people all the time and oftentimes it's in a social setting. And so it's, and for me, I don't drink alcohol anymore because mm-hmm. of my PTSD. It helps me manage my symptoms better with I, when I don't have alcohol in my system. So if I'm in a social setting and someone's like, Hey, how come you're not drinking? it's kind of uncomfortable to say, oh, I have PTSD. And then they want to know about that. And you're like, well, I'm a Boston Marathon bombing survivor. And then they feel bad. And it's like, I don't want you to feel bad, but you asked me. And so here we are. It's okay. But it takes time to get to that place. So you kind of need to start in a safe place with the person you love, who cares about you. And and then I I think that it will be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like that. And 
the first time with these things is always the most difficult, right? Yeah. You're you're disclosing it and walking that where now in your story, you're already at the point where someone approaches you at a party. You're like, I know where this is going to go. And yeah. I'm, and you can kind of just flow through it. And you're like, yeah, this is sometimes how this goes. But right. thank you so, so much for sharing your story. It is such a powerful one. And you bring so much energy into highlighting PTSD, all the ways it can manifest and normalizing that, yeah, you don't have to survive something like a bombing to have PTSD and then go through this very great process that you highlighted of healing, which is not linear, but it certainly can get better. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I love sharing my story and I love bringing awareness to PTSD. So thank you. Of course. How can people follow you? Uh, Well, my website is stillbloomingme.com and there I share my story and I have a very curated list of resources that I've used myself that have helped me that you can maybe try if you want. There's some great book recommendations there too. And then I'm very active on Instagram, which is just at stillbloomingme. You absolutely are. Your content is beautiful. Everyone listening, go there, follow, and share this podcast episode. If it helped you, if it was interesting to you, share it with a friend, family member, anyone out there, help destigmatize PTSD. Thank you so much again for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. 